0: Chapter Eight of Ashton Kirk Investigator, by John Thomas McIntyre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pete Mylon. Chapter Eight: The Newspapers Begin to Play Their Part. Next morning, Ashton Kirk lounged in a comfortable window seat, almost knee-deep in newspapers. The published accounts of the assassination were, in some instances, very sensational. Drawings by special artists of persons concerned were much in evidence, also halftones of the exterior of 478 Christie Place. The names of Osborne and Stillman figured largely in the types. But what interested the investigator most was a portrait of the musician, the violinist Antonio Spatola, and the story of his arrest. The pictured face was that of a young man with a great head of curling hair. The features were regular, the expression eager and appealing. I would have pronounced him a musician even if I had not heard that he was one, said Ashton Kirk. The head and face formations have all the qualities. Then he ran over the story of Spatola's arrest and the causes that led up to it. At the finish he smiled. They have tried and convicted him on the first page. If there was any way for them to do it, they'd execute him in the evening editions and print his dying words in the sporting extra. But—and he nodded his head appreciatively—Osborne has a good case against him at that. Both the clerk, Isidore Berlatsky, and Berg seem to have talked freely to the newspaper men. The character of Hume was treated in a highly colored manner. The visits of the Italian musician to the numismatist. His ambition to shine as another Kubelik, his ungovernable temper, the high words that followed Hume's frequent sneers at his ambition, and the fact that he once drew a knife upon his tormentor were presented in full. But what appealed to the space writers most was Brolatsky's story of how Hume had once called Spatola Mad Anthony and afterward showed him the portrait of General Wayne. This apparently drove him frantic! wrote one reporter and noting this hume frequently applied the name to him and more than likely displayed the portrait as well the last time that spatola visited hume was upon the night of the murder he evidently went to regale the numismatist with music for the delicatessen dealer berg saw under his coat what was evidently his violin during the course of the concert hume probably resumed his sneers Unable any longer to bear it, the Italian apparently struck him down, and then, in blind rage of resentment, smashed and otherwise destroyed every one of the Wayne portraits he could find. Fuller came in with another newspaper just about this time, and Ashton Kirk showed him the story. The standard, then, seems to ignore the theory held by Osborne and Stillman that the murder was done in an attempt to steal the portrait found partly cut from the frame, said the assistant, after studying the account. Then, inquiringly, he added, "'What do you think of it, sir?' "'As a piece of sensational writing, I have no fault to find with it,' said the investigator. "'But the standards young man is no deep thinker. The single fact that Hume was a lover of real music should have shown him that his theory was wrong.' Fuller considered a moment. "'I don't think I quite get that,' said he. "'It is simple enough. Hume, being sensitive to harmony... Asked Spatola very frequently to play for him, and according to Belatsky, paid him rather well for each performance. To furnish good music, Spatola must have not only talent, but also a violin that was at least fairly good. Yes, sir, I see that. Having a violin that was at least fairly good, Spatola, being a poor man, would take care of it. He would carry it in a case. He would especially do so in wet or damp weather. And it rained on the night of the murder. If he carried his violin in a case, there was no need of his putting it under his coat. And another thing. A violin is of such size as to prevent its being so carried, isn't it? Fuller nodded. I think that's very good, said he it would have been a very easy thing for the standards man to have made a few inquiries as to whether spatola used a violin case or no if he had done so i am inclined to think that the answers would have been in the affirmative but there is another and more vital point upon which i would base an objection to the reporter's theory he says that goaded into a rage spatola struck his tormentor down but he forgets that if the murderer did not visit hume's with the intention of doing murder It was rather a freakish thing for him to provide himself with a bayonet. However, that is a point that I discussed with Mr. Stillman yesterday. At first he was inclined to assume a somewhat similar position. But the broken and cut portraits? Questioned Fuller. Ashton Kirk smiled a little. Probably I shall be able to properly account for them when I return from a little trip that I am about to take today, said he. That is, as a sort of afterthought, if some things turn out as I think they will. Fuller unfolded the newspaper that he had brought in. "'It is a late edition of the Star,' he said. "'The paper seems to have scored a beat, for it has some developments that may put a different face upon everything.' Ashton Kirk took the sheet, and as he glanced at the flaring headlines, he whistled softly. The lines read, "'Mysterious woman in a motor car!' She visits 478 Christie Place on the night of murder. Did a beautiful woman's hand deal the deadly blow? A new element added to the Hume sensation. The Starman seems to have struck up an acquaintance with Sam's, said Ashton Kirk with interest. He thought for a moment, and then added to Fuller, Tell Stumpf, when Miss Edith Vale arrives, to show her here at once. Oh! You have been expecting her, then? No, I have not. But I am now. As Fuller left the room, the investigator turned eagerly to the star's leaded narrative. This laid great stress upon the evident wealth and dazzling beauty of the mysterious midnight visitor in Christie Place. And second only to her did they feature the well-dressed stranger whom Berg had seen enter at Hume's door, before he had closed his own place for the night the revolver shot that had followed the woman's entrance and the parrot-like scream which had in turn followed that lost nothing in the telling who was the woman that is the mystery the newspaper said in conclusion the hack driver caught but a glimpse of her and in the excitement of the moment failed to take the number of the car but that the latter was a mailard, he is positive There are several headquarters men following up the clue as this goes to press, and startling developments are expected at any moment. As to the second man whom the fancy grocer, Berg, saw go into Humes, there is a well-founded belief that he is very well known in select circles, and had called at Humes frequently upon a matter concerning which both he and Hume were always very secretive. The star called up both his apartments and his office, but he has not been seen at either place on the day after the murder. The clubs of which he is a member were resorted to, but with no more success. As this gentleman is known to be engaged to the beautiful heiress of a huge fortune, the star's well-known special writer, Nancy Prindeville, was detailed to get her statement. But a man-servant stated that his mistress had given positive orders that she could not be seen. The investigator threw down the paper. Well, said he to himself with a shrug. That makes it a little annoying for the young lady. The fact that they refer to Morris when they speak of a young man well-known in select circles will be plain to everyone, for the facts of Morris's visits have been rather well exploited in all the other papers. And as newspaper men are not without daring in their conjectures, I wonder how long it will be before one of them openly associates the beautiful unknown with Alan Morris's betrothed. I would, I think, offer even money that the thing is hinted at before night. He sat for some time in the midst of the scattered sheets, thinking deeply. Then he pressed the bell call, and Fuller presented himself. I want you to take up the investigation of Hume and Alan Morris where you left off the other day. Put Burgess, O'Neill, and any others that you desire on the matter. I want complete information, and I want it quickly. Yes, sir, answered Fuller. Follow up anything that promises results concerning Morris's father. Especially find out if he ever knew Hume. Get every fact that can be gathered about the latter. You, or rather Burgess, hinted in the preliminary report that it was thought that he had at one time lived abroad. If it is possible, establish that fact. In any event, go into his history as deeply as you can. Very well, said Fuller with the easy manner of a person accustomed to carrying out difficult orders as the young man went out at one door stumph knocked upon another then miss edith vale very pale but entirely composed was shown into the room end of chapter eight